Section 21 of The Great Events, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Colleen McMahon. The Great Events by Famous Historians, Volume 1. Edited by Charles F. Horn, Rossiter Johnson, and John Rudd. Pythian Games at Delphi, B.C. 585, by George Grote. Part 2. The disposition here adverted to is one of these mental analogies pervading the whole Hellenic nation, which Herodotus indicates, and the common habit among all Greeks of respectfully listening to the oracle of Delphi will be found on many occasions useful in maintaining unanimity among men not accustomed to obey the same political superior. In the numerous colonies especially, founded by mixed multitudes from distant parts of Greece, the minds of the emigrants were greatly determined toward cordial cooperation by their knowledge that the expedition had been directed, the oasist indicated, and the spot either chosen or approved by Apollo of Delphi. Such in most cases was the fact that God, according to the conception of the Greeks, takes delight always in the foundation of new cities and himself in person lays the first stone. These are the elements of union with which the historical Hellenes take their start community of blood, language, religious point of view, legends, sacrifices, festivals, and also, with certain allowances, of manners and character. The analogy of manners and character between the rude inhabitants of the Arcadian Sinatha and the polite Athens was, indeed, accompanied with wide differences. Yet if we compare the two with foreign contemporaries, we shall find certain negative characteristics of much importance common to both. In no city of historical Greece did there prevail either human sacrifices or deliberate mutilation, such as cutting off the nose, ears, hands, feet, etc., or castration, or selling of children into slavery, or polygamy, or the feeling of unlimited obedience toward one man, all customs which might be pointed out as existing among the contemporary Carthaginians, Egyptians, Persians, Thracians, etc., the habit of running, wrestling, boxing, etc., in gymnastic contests, with the body perfectly naked, was common to all Greeks, having been first adopted as a Lacedaemonian fashion in the 14th Olympiad. Thucydides and Herodotus remark that it was not only not practiced, but even regarded as unseemly among non-Hellenes. Of such customs, indeed, at once common to all the Greeks, and peculiar to them as distinguished from others, we cannot specify a great number but we may see enough to convince ourselves that there did really exist, in spite of local differences, a general Hellenic sentiment and character, which counted among the cementing causes of a union apparently so little assured. During the two centuries succeeding B.C. 776, the festival of the Olympic Zeus in the Pisatid gradually passed from a local to a national character, and acquired an attractive force capable of bringing together into temporary union the dispersed fragments of Hellas from Marseille to Trebizond. In this important function, it did not long stand alone. During the 6th century BC, three other festivals, at first local, became successively nationalized. The Pythia near Delphi, the Isthmia near Corinth, the Nemea near Cleon, between Sicyon and Argos. In regard to the Pythian festival, we find a short notice of the particular incidents and individuals by whom its reconstitution and enlargement were brought about. 
a notice the more interesting inasmuch as these very incidents are themselves a manifestation of something like panhellenic patriotism standing almost alone in an age which presents little else in operation except distinct city interests at the time when the homeric hymn to the delphinian apollo was composed probably in the seventh century b c the pythian festival had as yet acquired little eminence the rich and holy temple of apollo was then purely oracular established for the purpose of communicating to pious inquirers the counsels of the immortals multitudes of visitors came to consult it as well as to sacrifice victims and to deposit costly offerings but while the god delighted in the sound of the harp as an accompaniment to the singing of pains he was by no means anxious to encourage horse races and chariot races in the neighborhood nay this psalmist considers that the noise of horses would be a nuisance the drinking of mules a desecration to the sacred fountains and the ostentation of fine-built chariots objectionable as tending to divert the attention of spectators away from the great temple and its wealth from such inconveniences the god was protected by placing his sanctuary in the rocky pytho a rugged and uneven recess of no great dimensions embosomed in the southern declivity of parnassus and about two thousand feet above the level of the sea while the topmost parnassian summits reached a height of near eight thousand feet the situation was extremely imposing but unsuited by nature for the congregation of any considerable number of spectators altogether impracticable for chariot races and only rendered practicable by later art and outlay for the theatre as well as for the stadium such a site furnished little means of subsistence but the sacrifices and presence of visitors enabled the ministers of the temple to live in abundance and gathered together by degrees a village around it near the sanctuary of pytho and about the same altitude was situated the ancient phocian town of crissa on a projecting spur of parnassus overhung above by the line of rocky precipice called the phadriades and itself overhanging below the deep ravine through which flows the river pistis on the other side of this river rises the steep mountain cirphus which projects southward into the corinthian gulf the river reaching that gulf through the broad chrysoian plain which stretches westward nearly to the locrian town of amphissa a plain for the most part fertile and productive though least so in its eastern part immediately under the cirphus where the seaport syra was placed the temple the oracle and the wealth of pytho belong to the very earliest periods of grecian antiquity but the octennial solemnity in honor of the god included at first no other competition except that of bards who sang each a pain with the harp the amphictyonic assembly held one of its half-yearly meetings near the temple of pytho the other at thermopylae in those early times when the homeric hymn to apollo was composed the town of crissa appears to have been great and powerful possessing all the broad plain between parnassus cirphus and the gulf to which latter it gave its name and possessing also what was a property not less valuable the adjoining sanctuary of pytho itself which the hymn identifies with crissa not indicating delphi as a separate place the Crissaeans doubtless derived great profits from the number of visitors who came to visit Delphi, both by land and by sea, and Syra was originally only the name for their seaport. Gradually, however, the port appears to have grown in importance at the expense of the town, just as Apollonia and Ptolemais came to equal Cyrene and Barca, and as Plymouth Dock has swelled into Devonport, while at the same time the sanctuary of Pytho, with its administrators, expanded into the town of Delphi, 
and came to claim an independent existence of its own. The original relations between Crissa, Syra, and Delphi were in this manner at length subverted, the first declining and the two latter rising. The Crissaeans found themselves dispossessed of the management of the temple, which passed to the Delphians, as well as of the profits arising from the visitors, whose disbursements went to enrich the inhabitants of Syra. Crissa was a primitive city of the Phocian name, and could boast of a place as such in the Homeric catalogue, so that her loss of importance was not likely to be quietly endured. Moreover, in addition to the above facts, already sufficient in themselves as seeds of a quarrel, we are told that the Syraeans abused their position as masters of the avenue to the temple by sea, and levied exorbitant tolls on the visitors who landed there, a number constantly increasing from the multiplication of the transmarine colonies, and from the prosperity of those in Italy and Sicily. Besides such offence against the general Grecian public, they had also incurred the enmity of their Phocian neighbours by outrages upon women, Phocian as well as Argian, who were returning from the temple. Thus stood the case, apparently, about B.C. 595, when the Amphictyonic meeting interfered, either prompted by the Phocians, or perhaps on their own spontaneous impulse, out of regard to the temple, to punish the Syraeans. After a war of ten years, the first sacred war in Greece, this object was completely accomplished by a joint force of Thessalians under Eurylychus, Sicyonians under Clisthenes, and Athenians under Alcmaeon, the Athenian Solon being the person who originated and enforced in the Amphictyonic Council the proposition of interference. Syra appears to have made a strenuous resistance until its supplies from the sea were intercepted by the naval force of the Sicyonian Clisthenes. Even after the town was taken, its inhabitants defended themselves for some time on the heights of Cirphus. At length, however, they were thoroughly subdued. Their town was destroyed or left to subsist merely as a landing place, while the whole adjoining plain was consecrated to the Delphian god, whose domains thus touched the sea. Under this sentence, pronounced by the religious feeling of Greece, and sanctified by a solemn oath publicly sworn and inscribed at Delphi, the land was condemned to remain untilled and unplanted, without any species of human care, and serving only for the pasturage of cattle. The latter circumstance was convenient to the temple, inasmuch as it furnished abundance of victims for the pilgrims who landed and came to sacrifice. For without preliminary sacrifice no man could consult the oracle, while the entire prohibition of tillage was the only means of obviating the growth of another troublesome neighbor on the seaboard. The ruin of Syra in this war is certain, though the necessity of a harbor for visitors arriving by sea led to the gradual revival of the town upon a humbler scale of pretension. But the fate of Crissa is not so clear, nor do we know whether it was destroyed or left subsisting in a position of inferiority with regard to Delphi. From this time forward, however, the Delphian community appear as substantive and autonomous, exercising in their own right the management of the temple though we shall find, on more than one occasion, that the Phocians contest this right and lay claim to the management of it for themselves, a remnant of that early period when the oracle stood in the domain of the Phocian Crissa. There seems, moreover, to have been a standing antipathy between the Delphians and the Phocians. The sacred war emanating from a solemn Amphictyonic decree carried on jointly by troops of different states whom we do not know to have ever before cooperated, and directed exclusively toward an object of common interest, is in itself a fact of high importance. 
as manifesting a decided growth of panhellenic feeling sparta is not named as interfering a circumstance which seems remarkable when we consider both her power even as it then stood and her intimate connection with the delphian oracle while the athenians appear as the chief movers through the greatest and best of their citizens the credit of a large-minded patriotism rests prominently upon them but if this sacred war itself is a proof that the panhellenic spirit was growing stronger the positive result in which it ended reinforced that spirit still farther the spoils of Syra were employed by the victorious allies in founding the pythian games the octennial festival hitherto celebrated at delphi in honor of the god including no other competition except in the harp and the paean was expanded into comprehensive games on the model of the olympic with matches not only of music but also of gymnastics and chariots celebrated not at delphi itself but on the maritime plain near the ruined Syra, and under the direct superintendence of the amphictyons themselves i have already mentioned that solon provided large rewards for such athenians as gained victories in the olympic and isthmian games thereby indicating his sense of the great value of the national games as a means of promoting hellenic intercommunion it was the same feeling which instigated the foundation of the new games on the Syrian plain in commemoration of the vindicated honor of apollo and in the territory newly made over to him they were celebrated in the autumn or first half of every third olympic year the amphictyons being the ostensible agonothets or administrators and appointing persons to discharge the duty in their names at the first pythian ceremony in b c five eighty six valuable rewards were given to the different victors at the second b c five eighty two nothing was conferred but wreaths of laurel the rapidly attained celebrity of the games being such as to render any further recompense superfluous the sicyonian despot clisthenes himself once the leader in the conquest of Syra, gained the prize at the chariot race of the second pythia we find other great personages in greece frequently mentioned as competitors and the games long maintained a dignity second only to the olympic over which indeed they had some advantage first that they were not abused for the purpose of promoting petty jealousies and antipathies of any administering state as the olympic games were perverted by the eleans on more than one occasion next that they comprised music and poetry as well as bodily display from the circumstances attending their foundation the pythian games deserved even more than the olympic the title bestowed on them by demosthenes the common agon of the greeks the Olympic and Pythian games continued always to be the most venerated solemnities in Greece, yet the Nemea and Isthmia acquired a celebrity not much inferior, the Olympic prize counting for the highest of all. Both the Nemea and Isthmia were distinguished from the other two festivals by occurring not once in four years, but once in two years, the former in the second and fourth years of each Olympiad, the latter in the first and third years to both is assigned according to greek custom an origin connected with the interesting persons and circumstances of legendary antiquity but our historical knowledge of both begins with the sixth century b c the first historical nemiad is presented as belonging to olympiad b c fifty two or fifty three five seventy two to five sixty eight a few years subsequent to the sacred war above mentioned and to the origin of the pythia the festival was celebrated in honor of the nemean zeus in the valley of nemea between phylus and cleone 
the Cleonaeans themselves were originally its presidents, until some period after B.C. 460, the Argians deprived them of that honor and assumed the honors of administration to themselves. The Nemean Games had their Hellanodicae to superintend, to keep order, and to distribute the prizes, as well as the Olympic. Respecting the Isthmian festival, our first historical information is a little earlier, for it has already been stated that Solon conferred a premium upon every Athenian citizen who gained a prize at that festival as well as at the Olympian, in or after B.C. 594. It was celebrated by the Corinthians at their Isthmus in honor of Poseidon, and if we may draw any inference from the legends respecting its foundation, which is ascribed sometimes to Theseus, the Athenians appear to have identified it with the antiquities of their own state. We thus perceive that the interval between B.C. 600 and 560 exhibits the first historical manifestation of the Pythia, Isthmia, and Nemea, the first expansion of all the three from local into Panhellenic festivals. To the Olympic Games, for some time the only great center of union among all the widely dispersed Greeks, are now added three other sacred agones of the like public, open, national character, constituting visible marks as well as tutelary bonds of collective Hellenism, and ensuring to every Greek who went to compete in the matches a safe and inviolate transit even through hostile Hellenic states. These four, all in or near Peloponnesus, and one of which occurred in each year, formed the period or cycle of sacred games, and those who had gained prizes at all the four received the enviable designation of Periodonices. The honors paid to Olympic victors on their return to their native city were prodigious even in the 6th century BC, and became even more extravagant afterward. We may remark that in the Olympic Games alone, the oldest as well as the most illustrious of the four, the musical and intellectual element was wanting. All the three more recent agones included crowns for exercises of music and poetry along with gymnastics, chariots, and horses. It was not only in the distinguishing national stamp set upon these four great festivals that the gradual increase of Hellenic family feeling exhibited itself during the course of this earliest period of Grecian history. Pursuant to the same tendencies, religious festivals in all the considerable towns gradually became more and more open and accessible, attracting guests as well as competitors from beyond the border. The comparative dignity of the city, as well as the honor rendered to the presiding god, were measured by the numbers, admiration, and envy of the frequenting visitors. There is no positive evidence indeed of such expansion in the Attic festivals earlier than the reign of Pisistratus who first added the quadrennial or greater Panathenae to the ancient annual or lesser Panathenaea. Nor can we trace the steps of progress in regards to Thebes, Orchomenus, Thespiae, Megara, Sicyon, Pellene, Aegina, Argos, etc., but we find full reason for believing that such was the general reality. Of the Olympic or Isthmian victors whom Pindar and Simonides celebrated, many derived a portion of their renown from previous victories acquired at several of these local contests, victories sometimes so numerous as to prove how widespread the habit of reciprocal frequentation had become, though we find even in the 3rd century BC treaties of alliance between different cities in which it is thought necessary to confer such mutual right by express stipulation. Temptation was offered to the distinguished gymnastic or musical competitors by prizes of great value. 
Timaeus even asserted, as proof of the overweening pride of Croton and Sybaris, that these cities tried to supplant the preeminence of the Olympic Games by instituting games of their own with the richest prizes to be celebrated at the same time, a statement in itself not worthy of credit, yet nevertheless illustrating the animated rivalry known to prevail among the Grecian cities in procuring for themselves splendid and crowded games. At the time when the Homeric hymn to Demeter was composed, the worship of that goddess seems to have been purely local at Eleusis. But before the Persian War, the festival celebrated by the Athenians every year in honor of the Eleusinian Demeter admitted Greeks of all cities to be initiated, and was attended by vast crowds of them. It was thus that the simplicity and strict local application of the primitive religious festival among the greater states in Greece gradually expanded, on certain great occasions periodically recurring, into an elaborate and regulated series of exhibitions, not merely admitting but soliciting the fraternal presence of all Hellenic spectators. In this respect, Sparta seems to have formed an exception to the remaining states. Her festivals were for herself alone, and her general rudeness toward other Greeks was not materially softened even at the Carnea and Hyacinthia or Gymnopidae. On the other hand, the Attic Dionysia was gradually exalted, from their original rude, spontaneous outburst of village feeling in thankfulness to the god, followed by song, dance, and revelry of various kinds, into costly and diversified performances, first by a trained chorus, next by actors superadded to it. And the dramatic compositions thus produced, as they embodied the perfection of Grecian art, so they were eminently calculated to invite a pan-Hellenic audience, and to encourage the sentiment of Hellenic unity. The dramatic literature of Athens, however, belongs properly to a later period. Previous to the year B.C. 560, we see only those commencements of innovation which drew upon Thespis the rebuke of Solon, who, however, himself contributed to impart to the Panathenaic festival a more solemn and attractive character by checking the license of the Rhapsodes and ensuring to those present a full orderly recital of the Iliad. The sacred games and festivals took hold of the Greek mind by so great a variety of feelings as to counterbalance in a high degree the political disseverance, and to keep alive among their widespread cities in the midst of constant jealousy and frequent quarrel, a feeling of brotherhood and congenial sentiment such as must otherwise have died away. The theors, or sacred envoys, who came to Olympia or Delphi from so many different points, all sacrificed to the same god and at the same altar, witnessed the same sports and contributed by their donatives to enrich or adorn one respective scene. Moreover, the festival afforded opportunity for a sort of fair, including much traffic amid so large a mass of spectators, and besides the exhibitions of the games themselves, there were recitations and lectures in a spacious council room for those who chose to listen to them, by poets, rhapsodes, philosophers and historians, among which last the history of Herodotus is said to have been publicly read by its author. Of the wealthy and great men in the various cities, many contended simply for the chariot victories and horse victories, but there were others whose ambition was of a character more strictly personal, and who stripped naked as runners, wrestlers, boxers, or pancreatists, having gone through the extreme fatigue of a complete previous training. Cylon, whose unfortunate attempt to usurp the scepter at Athens has been recounted, had gained the prize in the Olympic Stadium, 
Alexander, son of Amyntas, the prince of Macedon, had run for it. The great family of the Diagoridae at Rhodes, who furnished magistrates and generals to their native city, supplied a still greater number of successful boxers and pancratiasts at Olympia, while other instances also occur of generals named by various cities from the list of successful Olympic gymnasts and the odes of Pindar, always dearly purchased, attest how many of the great and wealthy were found in that list. The perfect popularity and equality of persons at these great games is a feature not less remarkable than the exact adherence to predetermined rule, and the self-imposed submission of the immense crowd to a handful of servants armed with sticks, who executed the orders of the Elean Hellanodice, the ground upon which the ceremony took place, and even the territory of the administering state, was protected by a truce of God during the month of the festival, the commencement of which was formally announced by heralds sent round to the various states. Treaties of peace between different cities were often formally commemorated by pillars there erected, and the general impression of the scene suggested nothing but ideas of peace and brotherhood among Greeks and I may remark that the impression of the games as belonging to all Greeks, and to none but Greeks, was stronger and clearer during the interval between B.C. 600 to 300 than it came to be afterward, for the Macedonian conquests had the effect of diluting and corrupting Hellenism by spreading an exterior varnish of Hellenic tastes and manners over a wide area of incongruous foreigners who were incapable of the real elevation of the Hellenic character so that although in later times the games continued undiminished both in attraction and in number of visitors the spirit of panhellenic communion which had once animated the scene was gone forever end of section twenty one recording by colleen mcmahon